Welcome to the Spiro Avenue Podcast. Here's your host, Justin Spiro. Ah, yes. Welcome back to Spiro Avenue. It's going to be a fun show tonight. James Edwards III is in studio from The Athletic. And we got, of course, Jag running the board like a Hall of Famer, as always. Appreciate that. <laughs> oh, you're, you're welcome. No problem. It, it is a jam show. and We got the goods today. We got a Pistons fan that left a hateful rant on my voicemail. <laughs> I can't wait to play that for James Edwards and get his opinion on the matter. Because the fans here are fired up in this town. They're not happy at all. Yeah. The Detroit teams are all terrible. We all know that. It's been covered. All four pro sports teams in this town are a complete disaster. And we have a pretty funny song to play at the end of the program. We'll save that for you at the end. Let me start with this. Direction in life, just in general, is a good thing. I think goal setting is a good thing in life. You have to have certain markers you're trying to hit. But the key is it has to be specific goal setting. If you keep it too general, I think you're going to fail. So like you look at every year, New Year's Day comes around and people say, I'm going to be healthier this year. I'm going to lose weight. And what happens a month later, they're off the rails and they're five pounds heavier than they were on December 31st. The person who succeeds says, I'm going to lose 20 pounds by June 1st. They at least have a better chance. Why? Because they have a specific goal. A lot of times these companies will bring in new CEOs, like a CEO of a new hotel chain, and they'll say, look, we are going to emphasize customer service. We are going to be the best customer service hotel chain in the country. But they don't get anywhere. If they want to have success, what they need to do is say, we want to reduce customer complaints by 20% in the first quarter, or you're all going to be demoted, and I'm going to be out of a job as a CEO. You have to have specific metrics. You can't talk about eating healthy. You can't talk about improving customer service. That's how you fail. You have no specific bullseye to target. There's no bullseye to aim at. So this is an important life lesson, and it applies to our Detroit Pistons. Now, former Pistons owner Bill Davidson died 10 years ago. And when he died, the Detroit Pistons, as we knew them, died with him. First, his widow, Karen Davidson, took over. She wanted absolutely nothing to do with the operation. She wanted to get rid of it as fast as possible, and that was reflected in the sale price that she unloaded the team for. In comes Tom Gores, about seven years ago now. We've seen him about five times. Ironically, once this week. But that was maybe the sixth time we've seen him since the sale. He doesn't come here. He has no interest in being in Detroit. He has no interest in going to the games. And maybe James will challenge me on that later. The on-court success of this operation means nothing to Tom Gores. Nothing, in my estimation. Tom Gores cares about one thing and one thing only, and that's the bottom line. And on that regard, he's done a great job. Because Tom Gores has quadrupled the value of this franchise, whether it was by default or some genius move on his part, since he purchased it. This team was purchased for $325 million. They are now worth $1.1 billion, a nearly fourfold increase. So Tom Gores wins. You look at the difference between Tom Gores and Bill Davidson. Bill Davidson was courtside on the baseline every single game when he was here. Tom Gores helicopters in twice a year to wave a towel around and throw high fives around at his players like he's an overzealous softball dad. Tom Gores doesn't care. Tom Gores doesn't care at least the way that Bill Davidson did. So, again, why have the Pistons flailed around aimlessly for the past decade? Why has it been a rudderless ship with no direction? It's because they have no specific direction. Earlier this month, Tom Gores sitting courtside for the Lakers-Pistons game at Staples Center. Team gets blasted by the Lakers, an embarrassing effort. They interview him after the game. Quote, 
We just got to do the simple things a little bit better. We just got to stay the course. What course? What's the course? The Pistons don't have a course. They refuse to tank. They made an overgrown child their franchise player and Andre Drummond. Then they added Blake Griffin, who was fantastic enough to single-handedly keep this team from tanking well enough to have any type of meaningful rebuild. So, again, Tom Gores makes a rare appearance at Little Caesars Arena last night. He shows up. They interview him again. What's he say? They ask him about tanking. He says, quote, we aren't tanking. We just got to do better. We got to shoot better. Keep it more general, Tom. There's no specific direction with this team, and this team, this organization, has no path to a title. There's no path. There's no way for them to win a championship. They haven't told us how they plan to get there. They haven't shown any tangible signs of being interested in getting there. All we've heard for years is, we got to do better. We believe we can make the playoffs. Make the playoffs? This was a proud organization. This team has won three championships in my lifetime, and I'm not that old. They were the class of the Eastern Conference just a decade ago. The class, I mean, I know the Eastern Conference isn't great and never was, but they were the class of it. Now we're talking about we think we can make the playoffs? That That's the goal? I, You're not going to go Jim Mora on me, are you? I think I did. I was waiting for it. <laughs> I, I, this was a proud organization. Now we're talking about the playoffs. like It's some thing that we should be proud to achieve. The Pistons fans were furious losing in the Eastern Conference in the years that they did when they went six straight years. Now we're talking about making the playoffs, and they're not even doing that. And it's sad. The Pistons are like that fat guy talking about his New Year's resolution to lose weight. There's no specific goal in mind. There's no follow-through on the vague goal that is in place. It's just empty sound bites. You know, at least the Detroit Lions have given us exciting talk over the years. And far be it for me to defend the Lions, but of course they never backed it up. But at least we heard about it. We heard about the goal being Super Bowls, as Morningweg said. There were dramatic narratives from Rod Marinelli about sharp shovels and outstanding will. Jim Schwartz was a maniac, but he talked the talk. At least they talked. The Pistons don't even give you that. The Pistons don't talk it or walk it. At least be hollow. I mean, they're totally neutral. And it's a direct reflection of their owner and his lack of engagement. So... Just like the Pistons need to, you should in life set specific goals. Otherwise, you too will be completely aimless like your Detroit Pistons. It's depressing. We're bringing in James Edwards to help uh, talk me off the cliff here. James Edwards from The Athletic joining us next. This is the Spiro Avenue Podcast. Introducing from The Athletic, James Edwards III. All right, James Edwards III, Pistons writer for The Athletic, a fellow Michigan State grad. James, welcome to Spiro Avenue. I appreciate you guys having me on. This is a uh, a beautiful podcast studio. No, thank you. Michigan State goodies from every era, pretty much, is in there. Like football, you see different basketball eras, all the good eras. Yeah, we got some old stuff in here, too. We, like we try it. to be appreciative of the Michigan State history, and we thank you for joining us. It's about negative eight degrees, so... Uh, <laughs> I don't think you've taken off all your layers yet. No. So you listen to the opening rant, James. You cover this team every day. You're in it and around it. I don't see any type of rational plan in place for this operation. Where am I wrong on this? It all depends on your fandom. I guess we can start here, and I, and I wrote about this recently. I think we would all agree that there's two different categories of fans. In the world that we live in due to the way that media is going, social media, 
I think we see a little bit more of the tank crowd, the rebuild start over. I, I guess that would probably be Twitter. That would be sports talk radio. That'd be podcasts. That's just the world that we're kind of consumed in in today's sports media. Then there is the other group of the people who uh, you could make the jokes everybody wants to make about people not going to the games, but that group of people who take their kids to games, who take their buddy, who go after work, who do want to see a competitive product and have something to root for. The problem is for the Pistons is that neither one of those fan bases have been satisfied in 10 years. I think we all agree with that. That's a good point. I'm not here to defend the Pistons by any means. They're not playing great basketball, and they haven't been for 10 years. But but when you think about it, what they're trying to do is give the city a team that's at its, at its core, at Tom's core, what he wants to do is give the city a team it can get behind. When you hear about the playoffs, he's not saying it because, well, whatever reason, like he wants a team that he would love to see the Pistons in playoff basketball. The way they're going about it, that can be debated. I'm sure we'll talk about that here shortly. But at its core, he wants the team to be good. He doesn't want to have a crappy team. I, I would assume so. But to go back to the two separate fan bases is both have not been satisfied. They've tried to remain competitive, and it hasn't worked. But now they have this guy in Blake Griffin who's so good that you are so close, if not this year, that there's an actual possibility in the Blake Griffin window. And I, I'm, this is all assuming he doesn't ever ask for a trade or they don't trade him. This is assuming he's going to be here through the end of his contract. They are closer to appeasing one fan base, and you can always appease that fan base at the snap of a finger. If they want to appease the tanking crowd, they could do that tomorrow if they wanted to. But just because they tank doesn't necessarily mean they're ever going to get back to where they were. That's not a guarantee. I understand the whole process of rebuilding, and you hope for the best, and I think Philadelphia is the extreme because, I mean, we've watched Phoenix win how many games for how long? We've watched Atlanta win how many games for how long? So it's not guaranteed that if you tank, you're necessarily going to get back to where you hope to be there is a chance there's a it seems quote unquote a better chance for teams like that but they are close enough and i think we'd all agree they're probably a perimeter creator away from being a pretty solid team probably putting themselves in the playoff picture they need somebody that can get their own shot outside of like james what's the path to a title though because the goal shouldn't be to make the playoffs right no i understand i think they're already too deep in the hole i I agree with that so at this (laughs) point so so at this point I think you take Blake, I would argue the best player the franchise has had since Isaiah. You can argue Grant Hill. I think you're right. I think yeah. it is Blake. Yeah. Okay. So we're in agreement there. Yep. You're close enough that you can finally appease one of the two fan sections that you have. It's only a three-year window. Why not just go for that, try to get in the playoffs, try to get something to root behind in this small window, and then when that's done, you start over. I think that's an interesting perspective, and I never thought of it that way. And so that, it is a good point. I will say I think you can appease both fan bases if you win a title or you're contending for titles, and they can have sure. a, You say, okay, we're going to choose this section of the fan base and make them happy. Why not make them both happy by contending for a title? There is 0% chance this roster, this core roster, mm-hmm. can contend for a title. Zero. 100%. I also think in this league right now, there's. I still don't think anybody's beating Golden State. Right, but yeah. I, I don't think they're going to be uh, the down. Sorry, the, the Boston native is just wishful <laughs> thinking here. You guys got to worry about Milwaukee first. Yeah, yeah. Fair Toronto. Milwaukee, yeah. I'm, a, I, I'm a huge Boston fan in terms of just watching them play. I like a lot of the players, so I'm, I'm with you. I think they're going to be better 
this season than they are right now, and I think if Kyrie stays, they're going to be fine. But Golden State's really irrelevant to this conversation because if the Pistons did what I'm advocating for, mm-hmm. Golden State's not going to be in position to be Golden State three, four, five years from right. now when the Pistons would be ready to roll. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have a 5% chance of having a roster construction that can win a title than a zero. We seem to agree that there's zero percent chance this construction can do it. They're not even close. I mean, they haven't won a playoff game since I was still in college. I mean, it, it's it's insane. Right. And they keep running it back. And this whole idea of, oh, we got to plug and play and have a, a respectable team to appease that fan base, I, I think you're right. I think that is what they're doing. But we've been doing that for 10 years. It's not like they tried to tank and now they're going back. What was the Josh Smith signing? I mean, what was the Allen Oh, you can go down the list. It's yeah, like yeah. They, we, Charlie Volnoy, yeah. they've been trying to do that for 10 years, mm-hmm. and, and they're spinning their wheels. Right. No, and to add to that, so I'm not the biggest tanker in the world. Like, I want everybody to tank because it's just not proven to work. Like, I understand, like, tanking for multiple years, and I think Stan said this to uh, Valeni when they had their interview. Yeah, he did. Tanking for multiple years has not proved to work. Yeah, we agree that Philly's interesting. But are we all sure that Phillies, no matter what's going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals for the next four or five years, are they for sure better in Toronto with Kawhi? Are they for sure better in Milwaukee? Are they for sure better in Boston? So it's like you did all this, and they're in a better position to move guys and maybe make – they're in a better position to do stuff for sure, but it's just not guaranteed to work. I mean, we're looking at Phoenix. That's probably where Detroit's – they hope they can land a Devin Booker type. I mean, I know they obviously passed on him, but you you hope if they do a rebuild, you hope you can land on that and you have one guy – but how hard is it to build? I mean, we all agree that if they're going to rebuild. It has to be through drafts. You hit on two or three guys. Either they turn into be really, really good players or you're able to flip them for a really good player. That's kind of what the goal is, and that's what Philly's done. I just think with Blake, with a player of his stature, his nationwide appeal, somebody that this franchise has not had since Grant probably because Grant went to Duke and Grant was commercials and all that. But I'd say Blake is probably – I don't – I was really young when Grant was in Detroit, but I would say Blake is maybe more popular. Maybe I'm wrong. Grant Grant was pretty big. I mean, yeah. he he was on Sprite commercials. And right. He was he was pretty big. Okay, so they're in this. It's not too far off of Grant. No, okay. they're in the same galaxy for sure. So, like you said, they've been trying to do the same thing for ten years and it hasn't worked. I think this should be the last phase of that. I think you roll with Blake. You see what can happen. I did a story when uh, he returned to the Los Angeles. And I talked to 10 people. I did a story on the fans and what they thought about Blake, what they think about Blake since the trade. I had 10 people tell me that they bought Piston stuff because Blake is there. They follow, They still root for the Clippers, but they got league pass to watch Blake. He's a star. You might as well. It's a small window. It's really not. I know people are antsy to get going. Even if they rebuild, it's still going to be longer than three years. It's still going to be a long process regardless. If they start tomorrow, it's still going to be a long process. So why not just go with right now in the moment? You've got the star you've desperately needed for years. Go through with it. See what happens. See if you can make some moves. See if guys can play better and up their value. You flip them. Maybe somebody like, I know Bradley Beal's not available. Uh, it doesn't seem like that, but you never know what happens. I know Tom said he'd go into luxury tax for a guy like that. Maybe you, there's a way you flip and you get a Bradley Beal, and the Pistons are right there in the five, six, four range. I know some people, they don't care about that. But there are a lot of people who would love to see their team be a five seed in the playoffs and, and put up a fight. Just take this window, make this the last stage of this process that they're going through where they're just trying to stay alive, stay afloat. When that's over with Blake, you start clean. Since we're talking about Blake Griffin, he's been in the news the last few days, reports here and there that he's unhappy, he wants out. 
Yeah, Blake Griffin has really endeared himself to the fan base and me just with his effort. It would have been so easy to pout, and he's had actually the best season of a pretty impressive career Mm -hmm. in this situation. Again, you cover this team. Do you buy the stuff that Blake Griffin's unhappy and wants out? Do you think his people are going to go to Pistons Brass this summer and say, hey, get me out of here? I mean, I'm sure he's frustrated with losing, but from what I know and what I witness and just observe, he likes his teammates. He likes the coaching staff. He likes the front office. The person that threw that out there, I read this on Twitter, and I, there's ways to check, so maybe we can do it later. I don't remember what his B-Scoop NBA or whatever that guy was. I've heard he has 15,000 followers. Ron Robinson, I think his name was. Yeah. I, I, to my knowledge, I heard 13,000 of those were bought. Oh, well, that's nice. So, And and then I think in his tweet, it said Dallas and New York. Blake wants to win. He's not going to Dallas or New York. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? Rieger asked him yesterday. He said he heard the little buzz. He said... Check the source on some of that stuff. We haven't asked anywhere. I like it here. I'm, of course, I'm frustrated we're not winning. But you, if you watch him day to day and I'm able to observe, him and Andre have a good relationship. Him and the young guys have a good relationship. Him and Reggie Bullock have a good relationship. I know people make something big out of the video thing with him and Reggie Jackson. They're fine. They joke around all the time in the locker room. His teammates like him. He likes his teammates. It's just they're just not winning. After games when they do win, it's a lot brighter locker room. And when you go in there when they lose, of course it's quiet. If anybody's in there smiling, then you have bigger issues. I wouldn't ever be surprised if he asked for a trade because if this stays the course and it's like this and he's wasting the best parts of his career, I don't totally understand why he'd ask for a trade. But if they're able to fix it and get it going and he's able to be a star of a team that he helped figure it out, he grabbed the flag and, and walked in the front and helped his team reach its goals, I think he's fine with it. He's a professional. He's like the most consummate professional I've been around and I haven't been around many I've only been doing this for two years, but I, I just don't get the vibe that he's that type of guy that would make a fuss about getting out of Detroit. Not not now. I, I mean, and it's understandable if he does it two years from now. It's under, it, it, Nothing's changed. It's understandable. I want to talk Tom Gores for a second. You know, you heard what I said in the opening. My position is he doesn't really care. Does he want to win? Would he prefer to win? Sure. But I think this is an asset to him, the way any of his number of assets are an asset. I don't think he has a, a special affinity for the Pistons. I think it's just another thing on the balance sheet for him. Do you think Tom Gores really cares about making this a a championship type organization or is it just a method of profit for him? I definitely think he wants to win and he would love to have own the franchise that is NBA champions. Just to go back to what you said in your opening monologue, I know I hear that a lot that people are very upset that he doesn't come to many games. I never really understood the beef with that. He's active in his company. He's in L.A. I mean, was Bill Davidson, he was, was he active? Wasn't he older? And He was at every game. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I mean, that's that what I'm saying. Showing up is half the battle in life, James. I mean, they, he showed his face. They wheeled him in up until about two months before he died. Yeah, but I'm saying he wasn't, like, actively working. Like, Tom's actively working. Well, I mean, acti- no, he was retired from his glass business. Right. That's what you mean. Yeah, but yeah, he like, was involved in the day-to-day operations of the team. And I think one thing people don't know, and they sh- I mean, there's no way they would know, but Tom always has one or two platinum equity guys at the games. It's a surrogate. But like, but, but, what mean, is, not... but like what is having the owner there like do? You want your owner making basketball decisions? For like, the same reason people like when uh, the administrator at the nursing home I work at walks the building. Mm-hmm. It's your scene. It's the, the boss, even if you don't do anything. And he doesn't have to come to every game. I think, you know, you don't have to be Mark Cuban sitting behind the bench in the late 90s, early 2000s screaming. Yeah. But it's the perception that, look, I don't think it's a fair criticism. People pick on him for his mansion. The guy earned his money. He can buy whatever house he wants. That's my position. I don't begrudge him at all. I actually think he's done a great job. He came in for himself as Mm -hmm. a businessman. Mm -hmm. 
But as a Pistons fan, he's done nothing for me. But it's the perception of he's off in Malibu. He lives in a $75 million house. And We're the in, team is struggling. And the team is struggling. It's just the perception. It's, yeah, yeah. it's not a good look. And, and the perception is that he doesn't care. And I don't think he's done anything to combat it. And I don't think, you know, the team's made money for him. You could sell it tomorrow. He made out like a bandit. Yeah. So I've always been careful to say, look, Tom Gorse is not an idiot. I've heard fans say, oh, Tom Gorse is a moron. He's not a moron. No, no. Not at actually, all. you got to be pretty smart to be a self-made multi-billionaire. Right. So I respect Tom Gores. I just wish I had an owner that cared more. And, and I think a lot of fans feel that way. I don't. Of course, anyone would rather win, in part because he would make a lot more money if the team won. Yeah. But I, I don't think he's sitting there burning up at night. Like, do you, uh, I'll, I'll just put it to you this way. He was at the last game, but mm-hmm. let's say fast forward two weeks. They lose on a Tuesday night to the Knicks. Do you think Wednesday morning he even knows if his team won or lost the night before? I don't know this for a fact, but I have asked if how often like he watches when they're on the road. I've told that he watches the games. Really? I've been told that. Okay. And I get what you're saying. The way you put it makes sense. Like the show face. I've never been like that, but I could understand why people would care that the owner's walking around. I guess I, I could understand. I see the point in that. One thing I will argue, though, I guess if I could put myself in the shoes of a GM or a team president, in my experience being around the Pistons, Tom lets them run the show. I'm not saying this is fact. I don't know how much of a basketball guy he is. I don't know how many owners are basketball guys. You know what I mean? Like knows who the eighth man on the the Knicks are. Like probably so, zero of the owners. Okay, so yeah. okay, yeah. good. Okay, yeah. so we, yeah, he let Stan run the show. Stan and Bauer run the show. He's letting Ed and 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 his crew run the show. To my knowledge, and from just what I know, when they present something with him that could like a Blake Griffin trade, go for it. And he said yesterday he's not afraid to spend money if it brings back a, a star. He's not going to go over the luxury tax so you can add a backup point guard because the Pistons are teetering that line. If they got a backup point guard, they'd be in the luxury tax. But he would go in there for a proven star, which, I mean, you can make the case. Like I said earlier, the Pistons are a Bradley Beal away from being interesting. You just need a guard that can go get some buckets. You got Blake Griffin. You got a rebounder and Andre Drummond, a big guy that can disrupt shots at the rim, not even necessarily block them, but just disrupt them. You look a little bit more promising going forward. I do get what you're saying in terms of being there. If you take that as not caring, if you if that's your mindset, I could understand why you're saying that. If I was a GM, I'd want my owner to be hands off. And to my knowledge, he's hands off. When you need something to get done that you think's better for the team, he's always right there. I know him and Dwayne talk frequently, multiple times a week. I'm sure him and Ed talk frequently. So yeah, I, I, if I was a front office decision maker, I'd want my owner hands off unless we need him to sign off on something, which it seems like he he does. That's all fair. I just wish they had some specific direction because I don't know where they're going. Tom Gore speaks in generalities. He never, it's always an ambiguous answer. It's, mm-hmm. oh, we're trying to win. We're trying to make the playoffs. It's like, you know, you can see what you want about Al Vila, president and, and GM of the Detroit Tigers, but he's telling you exactly what they're doing. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Even if he doesn't do a good job, but, you know, and who knows, that remains to be seen. But Al Vila has come out and said, look, we're going to stink for a couple of years. I mean, he's been pretty blunt. And then by the year 2021, we're hoping to start spending. These guys are going to develop. And so it's like, look, as a fan, as a fan of the Tigers, the team just went on the record saying we're not trying to be bad, mm-hmm. but we understand that we will be bad for a couple of years. We're going to build this thing up, and then we are committed to spending when the time's right. Okay, so I can recline in a lazy boy and sit back for a couple of years, watch the young guys develop, and not get stressed over it. Mm-hmm. At least there's been a communication of goals. The Pistons... What is the goal? They're not tanking. We've discussed that there's 0% chance this roster construction can make the playoffs. You're talking about if they add a B-plus Win the title. 
They could make the playoffs. Oh, excuse me. That's yeah, what yeah. I meant. That's yeah, what I yeah, meant. Yeah, yeah. Make the, uh, not make the playoffs. Zero percent chance they can win a title. Right. They can definitely make the playoffs. Yeah. We were talking about adding Bradley Beal, who's you know a very good player, just to make them interesting. I mean, so we're talking about a hypothetical maybe. Well, I'm just saying that's the type in. of guy he would go in the luxury tax for. That's fair. I just there's no communication uh, on their part of what they're doing. I don't know what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I think you're probably right. I didn't think about it the way you did that they're trying to appease this portion of the fan base that just wants them to be something better than embarrassing. Yeah, and I don't know that as fact. That's just my opinion because when he took over, they had kind of got to that period where it's like, all right, we're moved on from that great era. What year did he come in? 2011. 2011. So they had not made the playoffs. Oh, they got swept the 0708 season and then hadn't made the playoffs. 08, 09, 9, 10, 10. So about three seasons, he, they had made the playoffs. Right. When you say, what's the plan? It, I mean, I honestly think he wants to win a title. But there is some, let's just like get in the playoffs and see what happens. Now, whether or not that's a plan people like or dislike, completely up for argument. And I totally understand that because it is just like, what are we doing here? But I will say this. Part of the reason they're staying in the middle and ground and not necessarily in the opportunity to, to play Eastern Conference Finals, I wouldn't blame him for this, but the decision makers that came in, John Lure, $10 million. I don't think Blake's contract's bad. He's playing up to his contract to me. It's the not being able to add another piece right now because you got 17 total tied up to Langston and John who are, who are coming off the bench, and that's a good amount of money. You ended up, obviously, the Josh Smith thing was not a good signing, which was the Dumars Era, I think they gave up a first-round pick just to move Ben Gordon after they signed him. Yep, They've missed on draft picks. So if you think about it, say they hit on two or three draft picks. Maybe you can say it is Booker and Mitchell. Okay, you got two really good players to pair with Blake. Or those are two players you can trade for somebody that's even better. The issue is some of the roster moves. That's the biggest number one decision. Right now, the reason that they can't make a move is because they don't have anybody on their team outside of Blake, who people are drooling over. Oh, whose fault is that? <laughs> whose fault is it's that? Not, I, don't, I wouldn't say that's Tom's. It's his organization. Yeah, but he's not making the decisions. He's making the decision he of who, who's going to make the decision. He's trusting yeah. the wrong people then, right? Well, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. He gave. Who does the buck stop with here? It's not the usher. No, I see what you're saying. That's what my point was. He rolled the dice and gave Stan, who has never been a GM, great coach. I actually liked that hire at the time. Yeah, and there was yeah. a lot of people that did because he's a yeah. great coach. Yep. He's a great, great X's and O's coach. Seems to get a lot out of his guys. Nobody knew if he was a good GM. They had to give it to him, though, because he was going to take the Golden State and job exactly. as just the coach. So, that, yeah, that was the rumor. So, you rolled the dice. And first of all, I don't want this is not a bashing stand. Stan did some good moves. I, I mean, you could say the free agent signings are uh, struggling. The, the, Tobias Harris trade was pretty good. To, got Tobias Harris, getting Reggie Bullock for basically not Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris turned to Avery Bradley to turn into Blake. Bringing in Anthony Tolliver, who was, I mean, I don't know anybody that didn't like Anthony Tolliver when he was here. Um, and I know nobody wants to hear this, but even getting Reggie Jackson, that's kind of where stands. Everybody thought he was going to, his tenure in Detroit was going to live or die with Andre. It lived and died with Reggie Jackson on the surgery table. Because if you look at that playoff team, Reggie Jackson, I think was averaging 18 points a game. He was the best player on a playoff team. 18 and nine. Yeah. 18. Yeah. yeah, 18 and nine. It wasn't just scoring. He was dishing. He looked really good when he got here. So he was the best player on a playoff team. That contract he got after everybody doesn't work. It was a bargain. Yeah. So now everybody's complaining about it. Understandably, but he's been hurt since then. Yeah, I think that's hindsight. I don't think that, that's. I agree with you completely. Yeah, I, people don't talk about that. Yeah, and I that think you're right. that hurts them. They got a guy that was really good that makes a lot of money. That's now not as good as he was. Still making a lot of money. The John and Langston contracts are higher than you would want for them, given how they've played in Detroit. 
that's $35 million right there tied up in, in unfortunate contracts. And that's if you want to place the blame on Tom or whoever helped him make the decision to roll the dice on Stan as a coach GM, that's understandable because he is the owner, like you said. But at a more surface level, it's the decisions that have, before Stan with Joe D, this decade of decisions has led to this moment right here. I don't have an issue with the Reggie Jackson thing. I, I I thought it was a good move to get him, and I thought they got him for a bargain, as you mentioned. Yeah, they got him for DJ Augustine and Kyle yeah, Singler. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he was going, again, 18-9. and nine. I mean, he he made the, the whole thing go. Best I mean, player he, on a playoff team. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He was. So I, I had no problem with Reggie. My problem, and it's well-documented to anyone that's paid attention to this show, my website, my Twitter feed, was Andre Drummond. I wanted that guy gone five years ago, and everyone said I was nuts. Now everyone agrees. No, not to go Donald Trump on you, Jag. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody was even talking about trading Andre Drummond until I was. I used Why do you got to bring him into this? Well, because it irritates you. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I was on the I get rid of Andre Drummond thing five years ago because you're going to have to. What, do you want to build a wall around him or something? I, uh, it needs to be a pretty big wall. I don't know, steel barrier or whatever. I'll have Jim Acosta come in there and cut it up. Uh, look, Andre Drummond, that was the poison pill. They're giving this guy $25 million a year. Before Blake got here, they decided, in my estimation, to build around an infantile child who charges after fans in the stands who make fun of his underhanded free throws, who cries like a baby and can't play at the end of games, who pouts on the sidelines when he gets taken out at the end of these games. I mean, we've seen that again and again. There's no precedent. Again, this is pre-Blake. Let's talk about their pre-Blake mentality. There's no precedent in the league. You can't name one example. I challenge you because I'm sure you know your stuff in this league. There's no precedent for a team that built around a guy that couldn't play at the end of games, that pouted on the sidelines, that had a deficiency so bad that he was unusable in the, at the end of the fourth quarter to the point where he's on the bench in the playoffs pouting against the Cavaliers. There's no precedent for a team that had that guy, that type of player, with those limitations as their franchise guy that went anywhere. Forget winning a title. I mean, God forbid you win a title. I'm just talking about a team that contended for a title. There's no precedent in the NBA for that. Andre Drummond needs to be the third or fourth best player on a real team. I'm not saying he sucks. He's a good player. But they built this team around him. He was the franchise guy. And you know why I know that? Because he's the guy that was on the billboard. He's the guy that made the most money pre-Blake. He's the guy that was on the season ticket booklet on the cover. He was their guy. And they built around the wrong guy. And everything has come from that initial decision to back Andre Drummond as a franchise guy. And everyone said they were stuck. They have to pay him. They can't just let him walk for nothing. Is that what I was saying? I would have let him walk before paying him $25 million. Now, what I would have done, I would have traded him when he wasn't making $25 million. But I don't know. Where do you stand on Andre Drummond? And then we'll, we'll get to that call because I want to get your thoughts on that angry call we got too. But yeah, I'm tell, interested to hear that. Tell me about Andre Drummond. So it kind of goes back to the Reggie thing. Obviously, in hindsight, Stan and Jeff couldn't predict that Blake Griffin would be coming uh, down the pipeline. And to my knowledge, that deal came about like within two or three weeks of it happening. So as we talked about prior to this kind of recent wave of three-point shooting, it was very much pick-and-roll oriented basketball. And as we saw, the Pistons were competitive in pick-and-roll basketball with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. And they had some of the best pick-and-roll numbers. They were one, If not the best pick-and-roll tandem that year they went to the playoffs, they were in the top three. So for Stan, who is a pick-and-roll coach who did pick-and-roll in Orlando, he's known for the pick-and-roll. Um, I understand why he maybe saw that as the way that this team was going to be built. You put shooters around him. It just didn't work out that way with Reggie's injury. Dwayne comes in, and that's not how Dwayne really plays. I mean, Reggie's still doing pick-and-roll. That's like a narrative that's out there that people think he's not doing 
nearly as much pick and roll as he, as he is. It's just different. It's not necessarily straight downhill type stuff. Andre is a guy that I think, like you said, he's not going to be the best player on a championship team. He is a guy that still only 25, very agile for a big, which you don't really see from the way he can kind of get out and guard point guards in the pick and roll and disrupt them. That's something that you can't teach. I think with him, the one thing he needs to do, and there's a couple guys on the Pistons team, is realize your strength and stick to it. I don't know this. I wonder if maybe his the hook shots and the and the turnarounds he does is because he, he is paid a lot and he feels like that's part of the package that comes with being that guy. I think we would all agree that's not his strong suit. Even if he just took less of those shot attempts, people would like him a lot more. I think that's the biggest thing is he does some things that the outside public knows are not his best, his strong suits. He does them often, and if he just kind of reeled it back and just did what he's good at, people would love him. But it's the fact that he steps outside his comfort zone and it hasn't really manifested yet. And people forget, I know he's been around here for a long time, and he's playing in the league for seven years. He's still 25. He's still figuring out. It's a guy that played one year of college basketball. And I remember I did a story on him last year, and I talked to Jim Calhoun, and there was a really great quote he told me. He said, when he first met Andre, he's like, why do you play basketball? He's like, because he's like this Andre's like 16 I think he's like maybe in 14 15 because like, my friends are playing it I'm he's like my I'm big my friends are playing it so he's still this guy that I and, I and you see it more with Blake around like today we were we were at the arena he's the last he was the last one to leave the gym this year like Drummond or Blake Drummond okay. last one to leave the gym he was sitting there he's talking with assistant coaches afterwards well after the, the team had left I've seen a level of professionalism with him like last year with Stan I didn't really ever see him stay after like at the time we got into the arena he was getting ready to leave this year, he's been always one of the last ones out working on his free throws with the assistant coaches, talking to assistant coaches. I think Blake has kind of turned a switch in terms of professionalism, what it takes to be a really good player in this league. And I think there's one thing that gets lost in translation is how young he is, his background. He was a guy that was big, like go play basketball. He's figuring out the professional aspect of it. So I understand the frustrations early on. I do. I, I get it. Do you pay that much money for a guy that's a traditional center in a non-traditional league? So when you give that much money to a guy, you understand where the frustration comes from because that's a big chunk of money in your salary cap. But I do think he is effective at certain things. He just needs to – the next step for him is knowing what he's good at and sticking to it. What what 25-year-old in the history of the NBA had a history in his career of pouting on the sidelines, being unusable at the end of games, charging into the stands, being held back by his teammates from uh, attacking a fan for pantomiming underhanded free throws? And then suddenly at age 26, 27, 28, was a steel-willed and then an iron leader of, of the troops in the playoffs. I mean, there's no, there's no precedent. So I get what you're saying. There's, maybe you can answer. I don't think there's ever been one. I mean, I don't, yeah, that's, I don't, yeah, I don't, know, about, I don't know about either situation. No, yeah, yeah, I, I painted a pretty narrow road. Yeah, yeah. But keeping it more general, I understand he's 25. I understand that he might improve as a player. But he's never, people, how old are you? 26. You're 26. So yeah. you're, you're like right in there. You probably knew guys at 22, 23 years old that were losers in your life. Maybe not your friends, but you knew someone. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a degree or two of separation. They were, you know, screwing up in school, goofing off drugs, whatever. I mean, yeah. probably, we all know a couple like that. Are they suddenly at 25, 26 humming along? Are they leading uh, a Fortune 500 company right now? Are they even functional? Because the ones I know aren't. I see what you're saying, but I would say there is a difference in in life and when you get a million dollar paycheck things aren't going well and then you realize oh i might not get this again it's a different one it's, it's you put, motivation like life like some people are unfortunate and there's there's disadvantages that they're dealt with from the beginning i think 
taking that into basketball is a little bit different. But I, I, like, I get what you're saying. Your worry is that like what you are at 22 is what you are at 26. For for 99% of the population, there's always outliers. I'm not saying, but I can't remember in the NBA an outlier where a guy was unusable at the end of games, was pouty, had a lot of baggage. I mean, and then suddenly became a trusted like general the, in the end of fourth quarter. The free throw thing specifically, but I mean, if we want to be like baggage, like Rasheed Wallace. Rasheed Wallace was probably the fourth most important person on a championship team and was coming into an established team. He was not the highest paid player on that team. But they don't win without Rashid. No, I agree. Yeah, I've never said Andre Drummond can't be an important piece of a title team. I don't think he can be a first or second banana. That's all. I've never said he's a terrible player. Any team that he's on is going to tank. I've never said that. Well, that was more using Rashid was more to like the baggage argument. Like Rashid, I mean, he played. He was the the ringleader of the what was it, the Jailblazers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he comes to Detroit. Who doesn't love Rashid? I understand what you're saying, but I I do think that there is. Andre Drummond played, for, as we talked about earlier, played for a franchise throughout his whole career. There was no veteran there to like. It was a culture of losing. Like he's been it's true. So now you add a guy like Blake Griffin, and people can say what they want, but the Clippers, those Clippers teams were competitive teams. I think people in Detroit would have loved to have a team like the Clippers, who were at least in the running. Oh yeah, yeah. Even though they there was times they only got to the second round, but they were exciting for the long regular season stretch. Yep. Somebody like Blake Griffin. Zaza Pachulia, who Andre and Jose Calderon, and people don't see this stuff. Whenever Zaza and Jose talk to Andre, he looks him dead. He stops what he's doing and looks him dead in the eye. There was a moment yesterday in yesterday's game coming out of the quarter. Jose, I don't know what he was saying to him, but we're sitting their benches there, and we sit here on the court, the, the bottom end of the court. And Jose was just sitting there, looking at him in his chest, like pointing at his chest, and, and Andre's just looking him in his eye. Other than Anthony Tolliver, I don't really remember many guys that could get through to Andre like that. I think that stuff does go a long way in sports. Having somebody there who has been through something, who you respect, who you know is going to be a straight shooter and not kind of sugarcoat you like, oh, you're, the, you're a lottery pick, you're going to be the man, da, da 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 When things aren't going well, to have somebody there that tells you how it can go well and why it isn't going well, it goes a long way and it kind of humbles you. I wonder if that's something he started to process. I'm glad Andre's making more eye contact at practice, James, <laughs> but uh, I, they're not winning. So <laughs> That's fair. But let's, let's get to this call. Uh, friend of the program, although you probably wouldn't be able to tell, from the nature of the call. I, we'll probably stop this a couple times and, and jump in. I, but this is a – for the 17 fans that are still fired up about this organization, this is a, a pretty well-representative example. If you guys want me to stop this at any point as we go through, let me know and I can, I can pause it and we can resume. But here's how it starts. Let's talk about the most depressing topic in the news today, the Detroit Pistons. This team hasn't had a set of balls since 2008. It's been over 10 years. The organization still had pieces in place to contend. The puppy needed tweaking, not euthanasia. Then, the Allen Iverson trade. Then, the overpaid Ben Gordon and that freak Charlie Villanueva. Not to worry, here comes jumping Josh Smith with his stoner eyes and stoner effort. <laughs> you can almost hear Joe DeMars saying to himself, Hmm, Josh Smith. He doesn't play any defense. He's antithetical to everything we build our success on, but he still kind of jumps high. But just real quick, they're still paying Josh Smith, by the way. Yeah, until yeah. next year. And I love they said Joe DeMars. Yeah, <laughs> DeMars. I, like DeMars. Even I picked up on that, and I'm not even, I wasn't even born <laughs> here growing guy, up this here. Guy, where's this guy from? I don't know. <laughs> let's, let's roll it. Let's sign his stupid ass. What has the organization been doing the past decade? Things are no better now than they were 10 years ago. The Pistons thought Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond were the building blocks of the next Eastern Conference dynasty. Stan Van Gundy waddled around the sidelines like Eric Cartman for the past three years while these uninteresting bums took turns getting torched by superior opponents. The plan failed. Those contracts failed. 
Drummond failed, and Van Gundy failed. Everybody associated with that team is a fucking loser. And even I'm not exempt. The Pistons are so shitty that their fans are now shitty by association. Let's talk about Blake Griffin. The poor bastard went from a beach in Malibu to the blizzards of Bloomfield. I give him credit for actually giving a shit, uh, which is more than I... <laughs> I, I agree with him on the Blake Griffin thing, by the way. I, I, I give Blake Griffin so much credit for the way he's handled himself. I mean, he... Absolutely. I, I have more respect for that guy than anybody in the NBA. I, I want to take our listeners behind the curtain here for a second, because <laughs> the, the theme in this first 45 or so minutes that we've been going here, Justin, is you're kind of down on the Pistons, or really down on the Pistons, and you've got the negative side. And James, I give you a lot of credit because you've got kind of a positive attitude, and I'm watching your face as this call is playing, and you're like, okay, I feel like you're thinking, okay, this is kind of funny, but it's pretty nasty, so I don't really want to give that big of a smile to it. I feel like you're 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 staying on the positive route here. I don't, I don't want to engage this. I don't want to say I, I'm positive because like I don't think that they're going to win a championship, and it's, I think what I'm trying to do is whenever I have a conversation with somebody, whether it's so if somebody was pro make the playoffs, I try to like bring the neutral out of it. Like so I understand what you're saying and you're probably you're on that far end of the spectrum with the tanking and the just start over just trying to bring from what I know and just being around being the perspective of what's going on and why it is more specifically the the way it is. With the caller, I just it was funny. Like it was hilarious. I just didn't <laughs> I just didn't want to laugh. Too. I didn't know if I could laugh because it was Oh, you can't, oh no, oh. feel free to chime in. There's no, there was some, Oh wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, yeah, kid, go ahead. Let's roll. I can say for anybody else on this roster this guy's out there busting his ass every night while Andre Drummond mopes around and Reggie Jackson does the Macarena while photobombing interviews. I hate everybody associated with this team but Blake Griffin. He is exempt. I agree with this guy. Look. The Macarena. <laughs> doing the Macarena. The next couple weeks are critical, Sparrow. The next five games will determine our course. We can make the critical decision whether to fuck up the playoffs or fuck up our lottery pick. <laughs> Either way, we're screwed. It's just too late in the season to do anything drastic. The best possible draft pick we would get would be between 6 and 10 if we tank the season. It is typical Pistons purgatory. It's been the same shit since Howard Dean was leading the Democratic primary. How about the owner of the Pistons, Tom Gores, never visiting Detroit? I read your bullshit article on this. Can you blame Tom Gores? He's a billionaire. He can own the entire city of Detroit and sell it to Dubai if he wanted to. Detroit is like the side chick he visits once in a while because she does weird shit in bed. But it's a pain in the ass to get on his private jet to fly to see her. That's a lot of money and gas. I don't blame that overtanned, underdressed donkey for anything. We're an asset to him. Stop it for a second. That's quite the, the visual. That's a, that's a hell of an analogy. Tom Gordon is this guy? He's a nut. Tom Gordon doesn't do himself any favors with his presentation if he's trying to be a man of the people. I'm just saying. Like, he is probably, what did the guy say, overtanned and underdressed? You're hung up on that. I'm hung up on Detroit being his side chick. That's, that's the part that, that perked my antenna up. But it's not wrong. If he didn't write that down, that's impressive. Uh, if he if he did that off the cuff, it just kind of cuff, it sounds it sounds rehearsed to me, but it's it's funny. Regardless. I mean, if he pulled that out mid rant, you're right. <laughs> yes. that, that'd be pretty impressive. Who knows? I, it, it's representative. Let's let's keep. There's about a minute left. Of this. Okay, let's Maybe 45 finish. seconds. Finish it up. It's impersonal to him as the socks on his feet. Remember when the Pistons gave the world the bad boys and going to work. Now the team's become the sad boys and going to the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Tom Gore says he's committed to going to the playoffs because he knows if his team sucks in the first round, at least he's got food, drink, and merch sales out of it. That's all this is. He's a bottom-line guy. If he can make five more dollars getting blasted out of the playoffs than he would be tanking, he's going to take the five bucks. He's the only dolt excited about the Pistons sneaking in as an eight seed. 
It's one more opportunity for him to get drunk and make a complete fool out of himself courtside at that ghost town known as Little Caesars Arena. Throw another $2 t-shirt in the crowd, you greaseball. Enjoy your $10 trillion mansion. I'm tired of it. I don't even want anybody fired. I want them out of my life. Move the whole asshole operation to Seattle and rename them the Sonics. To hell with you. To hell with the Pistons. I'm gone. Goodbye. <laughs> rename them the Sonics. I don't know why he's coming in at me talking about my bullshit article. And well, he's angry, He's clearly. saying to he hell with me. What a, I, I didn't form this operation. <laughs> is it still a ghost town down there, James, or is it fairly well attended? I mean, it depends on... There are games that's pretty empty. There are games, depending on who's in town, the night of the week. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, that, that's come to be expected when you haven't won in 10 years. It's total apathy at this point. And that's the other thing with tanking. It's like... And the parking's very expensive. I think that's, oh. a, bit, that's a huge part that people don't know. Yeah, it's like to park anywhere within a couple blocks is forty bucks. Yeah, so like if you want to take your family, you, you are probably dishing out a, close to two hundred bucks to have a good time. Yeah, is that even including the tickets? If you figure parking and then what twenty bucks parking. for a hot dog and a soda? I mean, yeah, the yeah. tickets plus probably if you want to grab a drink, depending on how many family. Like if you want to take you, your, you, your wife and your three kids, you're probably paying a pretty penny. The parking's, I understand that it is. It's very high. Unless you know of like a, your secret spot you can get for five bucks or yeah, so there's like, no such thing unless you're walking a so mile. What, so we walked, the, we went to uh, my wife and I. We both grew up in New England, so we came went to the Celtics game when the Celtics were here. Yeah. Jackass wearing a Patriots hoodie. But sorry, go ahead. <laughs> hey, we're recording this uh, what three four days before the Super Bowl. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, it must be nice for you to have a Super Bowl to look forward to. Is this your first Super Bowl? Uh, I mean, my city has not won a championship in three months. I know. What a, what a disaster. <laughs> I feel so bad for the. They fans. hate us because they ain't us. But anyway, so we go. To the Celtics Pistons game, and we parked close to the Fox, and we we actually got it for like ten bucks. We drove around a little bit and found a spot. Went a couple hours early, got dinner, went to the game at the Fox. It was ten bucks. No, it wasn't ten. It was oh. it was one of the surface lots, but it wasn't far from the Fox. I think we oh, had okay, a, yeah, those we had to walk work. walk several blocks. That's a, but, un, that's a unicorn. Everything around that stadium is at least twenty. I mean, at least because I think it was fifteen, but I think there. it was less than twenty. And that's still a little bit of a hike. Yeah, but I mean, it's it was, not the, if it's nice, know. like I wouldn't do that walk today. Well, I mean, I wouldn't you know, walk I mean, one block today. It's <laughs> yeah. negative 10 out. My trick is, everybody with kids can't do this, but uh, so me and my girlfriend, we went to, first time at LCA, like to go see an event outside of work, we went to a Red Wings game. Like, mm-hmm. There was like $6 tickets. I was like, I really? have for the Wings? For the Wings. Okay. So we went up just to go. We bought it 30 minutes before the game. What we did was parked in Greektown. Yeah. People mover? No. Hop on a bird scooter. Oh. It's kind of cool, and just it was fun. She liked it. So, you, is that weird when you first get on it? I haven't done one. Is it like no, scared? I like so when I'm on every city that has them, like on the road. If my hotel is downtown, I hop on the bird scooter. It's, okay. You have to drive in the streets. Like it goes fast. It's fun. So if you want to have some fun and save a little money on parking, Probably, bird yeah. scooter is the way to go. Probably won't have fun at the game, but the <laughs> the trip to the game will be a real hoot because the, the Red Wings are in no better shape than the Pistons. They're actually worse. <laughs> I want to talk, and we won't keep you too much longer, James. I want to talk a little bit about The Athletic before we let you go. Mm-hmm. I'm really intrigued by it. We've had Craig Custance, the editor-in-chief of The Athletic Detroit, on the program in the past. I was an early buyer into this. I think I was probably your third subscriber. We um, appreciate you. <laughs> well, I think it's a great product. And not just kissing your ass, I've actually been a, a public uh, supporter of, of what you're doing, and I think that's where the media is going. I think you have to go into a paid model. I'm curious, so you guys as an organization have been picking up guys left and right, Ken Rosenthal, Seth Davis, I mean, mm-hmm. big, big names, big uh, national figures. 
maybe their situation was different from yours, but when, yeah. when they call you, I mean, like, I mean in their, terms of bank accounts, what are those guys pretty high up there? No offense they, to you, no, James. Trust me, but I know. How did you? How did you come to work there? And what was their pitch to you? Like, what did they tell you when you were coming on? That's a great question. I remember the day. People that know my backstory, I was covering high school and helping out with college at the Lansing State Journal. So I was 24, 25. I just got out of college a few years earlier doing the high school grind. I was the first job at LSJ. I mean, people here know that Lansing's the capital of Michigan. Lansing State Journal is a big paper because it is in the capital. It's probably behind the Detroit papers um, in terms of just like prestige prestige or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it was a great gig for me to start right out of high school. It was state championship weekend for spring sports, and I was in Williamston covering D4 state girls championship, and after that had to go to MSU to cover Portland St. Patrick Division Five baseball. That's a heck of a day. It's a heck of a day. And on my way there, I got a text from Graham Couch, the columnist from the, the Atlantic State Journal, a good friend of mine. Um, I know, I don't know. He didn't talk you out of coming here. I'm shocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was to say, I don't know where you stand with Graham, but I, I like him as a guy. He's I've met Graham. Yeah. He's a great. He's guy. a great guy. I, I love Graham. I, I personally, I'm a big fan of Graham Couch. He's a great guy. I just don't like some of his bits. I think the the whole true road game thing. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna his rank you. That drives me nuts. Which he's probably achieving exactly what he's going for. I I, I think that's kind of a troll bit, but whatever. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Go no, regardless, Graham's a great guy. He is. Um, I agree with that. Text me. He's like, hey. Craig Custance from The Athletic, he's been asking around about for a young writer to cover the Pistons, heard that your goal was to cover the NBA and that your name kept coming up to everybody he talked to. It's like, oh, okay. And I had heard of The Athletic. I, I know Scott Powers, who covers the Blackhawks for Chicago. That's Graham Couch's really good friend. So I know Scott fairly well. Um, and Craig had followed me a few weeks before. So I get the text from Graham that day, and a few hours later, Craig DMs me and is like, hey, would like to chat with looking to add to our staff. I uh, would like to get you to cover the Pistons. So we talk. A few months go by. I hear back from him in August. We talk again. I let him know that I was actually going to interview for a job in Knoxville at the Knoxville News Sentinel to cover Tennessee basketball and football. Um, he's, and I just kept him in the loop because, I, I mean, like I said, I got into journalism to cover the NBA. That was like my goal. So I wanted to keep him in the loop. They were still in the process of hiring. I mean, the Pistons this season was MSU stuff was going on at U of M. The Wings, NHL starts before the NBA. Tigers obviously going on. So they were, the Pistons were last on the pecking order. And then obviously what they're probably the least, the fan base isn't as strong with the Pistons in comparison to the other teams. So that was kind of the order operations. Um, but then I told him that I had got offered the job in Tennessee, um, was going to take it, and then he offered me they moved up the priority of the Pistons job to get me, and then I took it. Covered Michigan State football for the first two months just so I could get on staff and 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 get going, and then yeah, jump right into the Pistons. That so. is such a typical like media story where you talk to somebody, and and there's no disrespect to the no, people no. you work for, but like, and a couple months go by, and you probably don't hear anything, and it's such a long drawn out process. I've seen this on the radio side, and as well as the newspaper and, and online side. I forgot to add. I did do some freelance stuff in between the initial conversation in August for the athletic. for the athletic. I would do like three or like a Pistons okay. piece a month. I just didn't know where it was going right. until August, so I apologize. And it, no, 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 you're fine. And I'm not saying this is this is only because of this, but when you had the leverage with the other job, you, like you said, you kind of moved to the priority list. It just in not just media; it's the way it works in so many different things. It's, you know who has the leverage in the negotiation. So I'm glad to hear it worked out so yeah, well yeah. for you. I mean, to me, that just showed. They seriously wanted me, so that was cool just to know I was going into a place. I mean, I know Knoxville wanted me, too. They obviously offered me the job, but it was just the opportunity I really wanted was with the Athletic, and 
I didn't think I would get it, but it, it worked out. Well, I know it doesn't feel like it tonight, but you're better off in Michigan than Tennessee. <laughs> well, isn't Tennessee number one right now in college basketball? Yeah, they're pretty, uh, pretty I just, impressive. I'm not cut out for SEC football. I don't care about college football. Oh, can, to- I, can I just tell you? I, I, sorry to interrupt you, but <laughs> no, I, I lived in New Orleans for three years. One of my big regrets is only making it to one LSU I've game. I've always wanted to go. And, LSU, uh, and, get, and getting yeah. there, And getting there like a couple minutes after kickoff because I had a previous event that day. The one game that I went to, and I didn't get into the end of the tailgating, got there after kickoff, they were playing Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel in the downpouring rain, mm-hmm. 40 degrees, miserable. I kind of, I think I remember that game. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. and uh, LSU smoked them. Yeah. 75,000 in the pouring rain at LSU are almost twice as loud as 110,000 at Michigan or Michigan State. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and it's, yeah. it's, you know, and I, I'm a Michigan fan. No offense to you guys. I'm, no, a, Michigan, I'm a Michigan fan. Yeah. But the sheer religion that it is down there, when they knocked off Alabama, it was measured on the Richter scale. Yeah, yeah. It's that, I remember it's that. that insane down there. I don't like college football enough to be. And I don't either. To be enthralled in. That crazy of a, a sphere. I just I couldn't do. I would have done it because I needed. I wanted to do. I was ready to yeah. move on. If I had a choice, though, SEC football is not for me. Don't even get me started on Saints fans, especially the last couple weeks. <laughs> but that's well, Joe been. Joe Rexroad is down there covering. Yeah, uh, Tennessee is Tennessee, right? Yep, he's a columnist for the Tennessean. Right, another guy who's not a big fan of mine, but uh, <laughs> I like it's Joe. It's a long list. Of, it is a long Love list. Love Joe. Yeah. Yeah. I like him. He doesn't like me. It's, it's a one way really. <laughs> kind of like Graham. You know, we'll wrap on this again with the athletic. When I had Craig on here, it was very fresh. The athletic uh, Detroit had just come out. And we discussed a little bit about the skepticism. I sort of pre-qualified my position. I think this is where it's going. But there still are a lot of skeptics that say, hey, screw you, take down the paywall. Mm -hmm. Why are you guys worth it when I can go to the Detroit News for free? Right. Um, Just to add to what you – I've been saying that to people all along and when they got me, like just thinking of the way that – the world is going like people have no issue paying with for netflix people have no mm-hmm. issue paying for apple music we can go down the list yeah, with, right it's just the way things are going people are figuring out ways to monetize i mean my pitch to everybody is if you're a diehard sports fan and it, you don't really even have to be a diehard sports fan i just think we cater to that audience a little bit more than you're regular i just want to read the paper not that there's anything wrong with them just saying people that just want to check in and see what's going on just keep up to date if you're really like enthralled in a team or a city I think the athletic, because one, we don't really do game stories at all. There are teams across the nation that or writers that do do game stuff because like people want to read about the Warriors every day. Yeah. Sure. So Anthony Slater, who's a phenomenal B writer, well, of course he's going to do something after the Warriors game. He'd be foolish not to. That's the biggest team in the world. My goal as a reporter is the access I have, I try to use that to bring you guys into the world that I'm in. So, for example, like... I did a story the other day where I talked to Jose Ish and Langston Galloway about like what it's like to be part of an NBA trade. Just stuff that like as me as a fan growing up, I would love to know like when do you move? Like how quick like do your family stay behind? That's the type of stuff we try to do. Or like the behind the scenes stuff where I did a few weeks back when we were in LA for the West Coast road trip, the equipment manager of the Pistons, like that's a lot of bags that have to go across country <laughs> and that have yeah. to be accounted for. Um, we go analytics, deep dive stuff that some people, just your your average casual sports fan might not care about. Breakdowns, video breakdowns. We have just kind of that freedom to do whatever we want. We have the freedom to take our time. We don't have to, if I have a story idea, I don't have to have it up tomorrow. I can take three or four days to make sure it's well sourced. I got every detail I need. I did that one more interview. Unfortunately, with the newspapers, the one thing that hurts is it's instant gratification. They have to have something in the paper tomorrow, even though now newspapers are 
catering online first. Something might be in online on a Friday, but it's a Sunday centerpiece. Mm-hmm. You still have to make sure you have something in the paper where I can, if I don't want to write something off the game tomorrow, I don't have to. I can take two or three days, write something that a feature on somebody in depth. Go If I want to go visit a guy's high school coach and see what he was like, I have that freedom to do that, and it's encouraged. So I just think we're able to kind of go the extra mile. And when we do put the product out there, it might be two or three days after we posted something else, but it'd be worth the wait. I have a follow-up question for you about The Athletic, and yeah. I think it's to your credit. Just the way you described talking about the team and sort of sparring with Justin earlier, I think you do a really good job, even in this setting, just taking us behind the scenes and, and putting us there and you know with the team. So I appreciate that's that. a credit to you. Great questions, too. What I've heard, and uh, I'll, I'll name drop my friend Matt Friedman, a mutual friend of ours, yeah. um, and he's been singing The Athletic's praises since the jump, just like Justin has. One of the things that he really enjoyed about it as a diehard Detroit sports fan is if you flip on ESPN, you know, there's the East Coast bias. You're talking about Boston or New York or mm-hmm. Golden State or whoever, that he felt like The Athletic did a really good job of focusing on markets that were underserved by these giant ESPNs. And how, 100%. Much, of, how much a part of that has been The Athletic's mission? I know it's expanding into other places now, but... Oh, 100% early on that was the goal. I mean, you saw the wave that they, the NHL... They hired all the best NHL writers because that market was being underserved. Absolutely. That's how they started. Mm-hmm. And it's weird for me to think, like me just being 26 and still only a year and a half on the NBA beat, Detroit was the fourth or fifth market, or if not sooner, that the Athletic hired because it was a it's a sports town. Die hard. Die Chicago, hard Toronto, town. Cleveland, Detroit, I think were the first four, if I'm not mistaken. It's kind of the same geographical region, the Midwest, but the, the whole flyover state mentality. Yep, the fly, where, exactly. The flyover state where these where sports are 24-7, 365, because it's not always pretty outside. <laughs> you, you need you, long work days, factory work days. You need something to root for. So th- that is the aspect. Those cities that are kind of, nobody talks about Detroit on ESPN, really. Nobody talks about the Pistons, the Red Wings, the Tigers, the Lions. Nobody Chicago's a different beast, but even Toronto, until they were, even now, Kawhi has kind of taken them another step, but it's not as big nationally. So they, they did try to go into these niche sports cities, and then, obviously, the NHL aspect was a big thing, because those fans, at least I, I believe from their perspective, were being underserved, and this was a way for that, uh, that kind of really got I us going. ESPN can spell NHL at you know, this point. Yeah. No. Craig was, to my knowledge, Craig was like the Adam Schefter over there, and he might have been one of very few reporters before he left, covering the NHL for years. So it's like, okay, let's send Steve Levy and Barry Melrose to do a quick 30-second hit outside the NBA, uh, Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, you no. know, and that's about it. Well, I was happy the Athletic got Craig and Katie Strang because I thought those were the two Phenomenal. best hockey writers. Then she was moved off of hockey at ESPN before departing. But, yeah. you know, to anyone criticizing what you guys are doing and you want to you know, cling on to the old model, take a look at what's happening in the newspapers across the country. That model ain't working. How many newspaper people do we know that have just lost their gigs? In the last just, couple of weeks? Even from radio, and I'm sure I'm sure you know a lot of people uh, from newspapers that have lost gigs because the economics are changing so quickly. Yeah, people yeah, are, I mean, people can, are retiring. It's Well, forced retiring. Like, Lynn Henning said he's retiring, but he pretty much made it clear they offered him a drastically reduced <laughs> I mean, you salary. see that stuff all across the nation, and it's sad yeah. because I came from newspapers. I grew up reading the newspaper. I'm friends with people who work for newspapers and it is sad that that's what's happening and the model that that took and you hope maybe something flips the switch because you don't want to ever see anybody that you know personally lose their job Mm -hmm. but I think what we're doing I know people are on the fence about paying for sports stories but I mean there's a lot of diehard sports fans out there that love to read everything about their team and I think it's only like four ninety nine a month. I always my pitch is one less Corona a month. I'm a Corona drinker, so you, there you, you go. go out with your friends, just have one less beer, and it's, you can get a free trial. Try it out for a week. Go to theathletic.com, type in free trial. You'll find a free trial. 
try it out for a week. You pay $4 a month, $3 a month, or you can pay for your whole year up front, and it's well worth it. If you're a diehard sports fan and you just want to read everything about your team, you want to know about the stuff that you don't know about that goes on within the inner workings of a team, it's for you. And not to say that the newspapers don't do a good job, but I think we are just given that freedom because of our model to take it a step further. It's a different product. And it reminds me, it's kind of like a Grantland without the pretentiousness. Like you guys aren't as as, uh, stuffy as I thought Grantland was before it. We get a lot of complaints for saying that every time we tweet something, it's the greatest thing you'll ever read. I get people that whenever we we compliment it. That's a knock we get as people compliment each other. But I mean, I feel like I've had people in newspapers like, I wish my coworkers pumped me up like that. So there are people that get annoyed that, by that. It's funny with, with Twitter, yeah. too, because Twitter can be such a cesspool of negativity. Mm-hmm. But I, I found my own Twitter following has grown when I seek somebody out and I pay them a compliment. If it's just some random person, wow, they did a really nice job on this story. And I, I oh, hey, thanks. Follow or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some room and positivity. And in terms of what you guys are doing with The Athletic, it's Darwinism. It's adapt or die. Five or ten years ago, this would be you'd be a newspaper coming into our radio or our TV station. Right now, you're the athletic coming on a podcast, and if people aren't going to be on board 100%. with the way things are going now, leaving our dust. Yeah, and I think one thing that just what you said about the uh, complimenting on tweeting, I think one thing that we do, people have their own personalities and they go about it differently. But I mean, if you look, you, you're in our comment section. I've, I think we've interacted on the Athletic Detroit. Yep. We're trying to build a community. Yeah. Like it's not necessarily like we're the athletic. You read our stuff, and we're not. You're not he going to hear from chest. us again. Yeah, we interact all the time. You read the, any Pistons? Not. I mean, not everyone has a bunch of comments, but some do. And we, there, we, there's people going back and forth. I'm going back and forth in there. And because we have that subscription model, I want people to know like you're not just like paying for just this story. Like we're trying to build a community. I mean, if you reach out to me on Twitter, say hey, that was a great piece. This is what I think. This, if it makes reasonable sense and you're not just spewing something that's like, all right, this doesn't. Right. Trolling, yeah. I will have a conversation with you just because I, we want to build a community because this is where the athletic Detroit, there's the athletic Cleveland. Like this is the fan base we're trying to cultivate and we're trying to get people to jump on board, learn who we are. And we're just we're trying to make this a very dialogue centric operation accessible accessible. make everybody feel involved and it's the opposite of espn who recently turned off their comment section you can't even comment on an espn article anymore well and what you're talking about james is so universal and uh, excuse me for tooting my own horn here but when i but when i was a radio dj here in detroit Mm -hmm. and a listener would tweet me or tweet the radio station and i would again if it was within reason it was just some troll comment i'd reply and some of these listeners would be so surprised oh my god jag replied to me oh my and it was like well, yeah, you're a person. I'm a person. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to build a community and build my brand and build for the radio station and myself. Same thing with you and for your website. It makes total sense. Like, why wouldn't you interact with somebody when you have this opportunity to do it one on one so many times a day? For sure. That's the beauty of 2019. <laughs> so, James Edwards, the third, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Love to have you back. Love to. Thank uh, This was fun. This it was, was heated. It was good. Yeah, it was, it was I all right. I wouldn't say heated, but it was. Good dialogue. Yeah, you didn't throw anything at me. So, I would uh, never. There's, there have been a few guests that wanted to pull it. He's Jim not going to rip any of these expensive Michigan s- State things off the wall. I was going to say, if there was Michigan <laughs> stuff down here, I might have taught something, but I, I don't want to ruin any of this. Yeah, yeah this is a nice uh, Michigan State palace. So <laughs> thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Love to have you back. Uh, James Edwards from The Athletic, Detroit Pistons writer. Highly recommend you guys check out The Athletic if you're not already a subscriber. Easy four bucks. Uh, great purchase. So thanks again, James, for joining us. Thank you, guys. This is the Spiro Avenue Podcast. You like this show. Well, that was a pleasure with James Edwards III from The Athletic. 
I normally with this show, we do a, a good thing and a bad thing. So I tell you one thing that I thought was really good and one thing that was really bad. We ran a little long with James, so we're going to skip the good and go straight to the bad. Why not end on a sour note? You really right? are a pessimist sometimes. I, I'm a cynical guy, especially <laughs> when I have to look at your stupid Patriots hoodie uh, whenever you come over here and your, your Patriots hat. And you're going to celebrate your 17th parade I, in the last. Ride, riding this dynasty into the ground, I know it's almost over. I'm going to savor it as long Shut as Shut up. Left. They'll be back next year, too. Tom Brady's going to play until he's 72 years old. Anyway, we're going to go straight to the bad and look – I don't want to piss and vinegar tonight. I don't want to bring up Anthony Fennick like every time we do this segment. He came up a lot in the past, but Detroit Free Press Tigers beat writer Anthony Fennick is on my mind again. He always somehow or another ends up on my radar. For those who don't know, the Detroit Tigers hold an annual fantasy camp. They do this every year down in Lakeland. It's every January or first week in February every year. I mean, they've been doing it for 30 years. And what you do is it's a week long you pay a big fee and you get to go down there and you have like kind of a fake spring training. You get your name on a Tigers jersey. You play exhibitions. The old timers come out and give you lessons on fielding and hitting and all. It's a great thing. It's really cool. I've never done it, but observing it from afar, uh, my dad did it when he was a bit younger. It's a really cool thing. Anthony Fennick is doing that right now while simultaneously being the Detroit Free Press Tigers beat writer. He is attending and participating in this camp. He's wearing the Tigers jersey and hat. He's playing in the games. He's eating the food. This is a camp that costs almost $4,000 to attend. I'm guessing the free press didn't pay him to do it. I know Anthony Fennick didn't pay to do it. I mean, maybe he did, but uh, he, he's always talking about how poor he is all the time on Twitter. So I, I don't think Anthony Fennick paid the $4,000. So is this... Like Jim Acosta wearing a Make America Great Again hat? No. I mean, we're not talking like life or death, White House politics, serious stuff here. But as a journalistic principle, it is not ideal for a Detroit Free Press, Detroit Tigers writer to accept what I presume is a freebie from the organization that he covers. They have given him free food, a free jersey. This wasn't like a journalism thing. He's out there doing this like as a fan. Well, he's a writer for the team. I reached out to Anthony Fennick and the Detroit Free Press because I'm a responsible guy. I'm not just going to come on the air and talk about this without having reached out to them to ask them who's paying for this. If Anthony Fennick wanted to pay for it himself, it'd be a little bit less bad. At least he's not accepting a freebie from the subject he covers, but it's still a huge conflict of interest for the guy to wear a Detroit Tigers jersey. He's playing this fun game back and forth with Jordan Zimmerman on Twitter about how bad he pitched. And Zimmerman's teasing him about how he didn't have his best stuff today. Ha, ha, ha. Like, look, I know this is baseball. I know this is not life and death. I know this is not someone covering the, the latest summit with North Korea. But at least pretend to have some principles. I mean, where is the Detroit Free Press on this? Why is this allowed? Of course, this is the same outlet that gave us Drew Sharp's plagiarism, Mitch Album lying about Michigan State players attending a tournament game, Drew Sharp writing about a no-hitter that he didn't watch. So I guess I shouldn't have any higher standards than they're presenting, but I just I don't get how you have a guy who is ostensibly an objective reporter who's supposed to be completely unemotional about the team, wearing the jersey, wearing the hat, yucking it up with players on Twitter, and presumably accepting this for free because Fennec and the Free Press did not respond. They did not respond to my seeking comment on this. So, no, is this a big deal? No. 
But it's just another example of the reporters in this town are way too close to the teams they cover. They're can, way too friendly. Can I play devil's advocate please, with you please for do. a second? Please. So, because I see where you're coming from. If the team is giving him this massive freebie, it, it does hurt his objectivity. But you're telling me he's going back with Jordan Zimmerman. He's building a relationship with Jordan Zimmerman. He might be able to get a quote during the year that somebody else might not get. He's definitely doing that. Good for Anthony uh, but Fennick. It, it, is he getting a better relationship with some of these guys to get better access for stories? Oh, he is, and it's paid off for him because there's a reason why anytime there is a Tigers leak, anytime there's a local story that, that breaks that is favorable to the Tigers, leaks are always strategic. You probably know this as, as someone with a background in this industry. When something comes out, it's not like somebody hacked the email or like there, there was a, it, leaks come out strategically because somebody wants them out. Anytime there's a favorable Tigers leak, so and so players being unreasonable with their demands or whatever, it's always Anthony Fennick because he's in the in the bag with the team. Avila gives him everything, so you're right. It absolutely builds the relationships, but it's only going to be to the point where he can be used strategically for their benefit. It's not to my benefit. He's just a, a pawn for the Tigers to get their message out. Where do you draw the line? If you are working as media covering a game, the team putting out a spread for you, the nice little media buffet, is it wrong to eat the free food from the team? No, I don't. I think that's a, a fine service to provide as a general method. But unless you're going to have every single reporter come down and get free food and a free trip to Florida and a free uh, Tigers jersey with their name on it. The optics of it are bad. I understand. The optics are bad, but if you don't optics know 100% everything. who paid for this, you're getting really worked up about this when you don't know for sure that the Tigers paid for this. Even if he did pay for it, why is the writer for a team... Let's Maybe he's ma- doing a feature story on it. Maybe well, he wants to He's wearing it. a Tigers jersey. Do you think that would be appropriate? If Are a- you not allowed to be a fan of a team that you cover? You should keep it under wraps. You shouldn't be waving the pom-poms. See, that's where I, you know, think about... What did they teach you at Syracuse? <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. What are your principles? I, this, I told you Michigan State's the best journalism school in the country, and this is why. The fact that you would defend this, God God bless I'm you. I'm just playing devil's but, advocate. I'm not saying it's right. Oh, so right. you don't actually believe this I'm not, stuff. I'm not saying it's it's totally fine for him to take this massive several-thousand-dollar freebie if it came from the team, but I'm just trying to play the other side and think about this Even here. if he paid for it, if you value your objectivity at all... There shouldn't be pictures of you wearing Tigers gear available unless it was before your you know days, if it was 19 years old or whatever. But you shouldn't be posing for pictures in any context wearing Tigers gear when you are ostensibly an objective reporter covering the team. You I think you're just being really old school with this, and you're being highfalutin I'm being in a way that Syracuse pr- people get the reputation I'm for. I'm being principled. I, some principles never die. They don't age. Some principles are good to maintain over time. If a person covering my team is a fan of the team— I'm okay with that. So the, because you're Boston, all you Boston people are homers. Have you listened to WEEI? The Patriots I I either won. I listen to the sports up, but, but that's beside. They the either point. win every game or they were cheated. It's just like the Michigan fan base. No, oh, here you, you guys, go. You here guys you are go. the second worst fan base no, in the we, world. We lost three Super Bowls and legitimately lost all three Super Bowls. We weren't cheated in any of those. Okay, I hear a lot of complaining from Bill Simmons about uh, David Tyree and uh, yeah. David Tyree pulled an absolute miracle catch, Syracuse grad, by the way. And sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. 
Anthony Fennick should not be wearing a Tigers hat and jersey and yucking it up with the players on Twitter back and forth with banter. It's, it's, it's crossing the line. It's inappropriate. Is it a big deal? No. Is it a good look? Also, no. I just think there's a lot of stuff in this world for you to be pissed off about. And it's, this, this is, is a not Detroit one to, sports show. This is not one to seize on. This is a Detroit sports show that in part serves as a watchdog for the local Detroit sports media. This is my beat. And this is like me wearing a Detroit Free Press shirt and hat and saying, oh, Fennec, uh, LOL, and then I'm going to write a, an objective piece on him. I mean, it, it, you just you totally undermine yourself. He's doing himself a disservice, although Anthony Fennec has never been accused of taking himself seriously. Anthony Fennec is going to be on the show again, uh, never as a guest, but as a topic. So we can beat this drum to death. But the, the bottom line is it's inappropriate. It goes against what any respectable journalism school outside of Syracuse apparently would teach you. Don't judge Syracuse based on me. I'm the flunky that turned into a radio DJ. I was never a journalist. Uh, you got a degree, so you did something right. Anyway, Jag in Detroit. Uh, it was a pleasure today. I thought James did a nice job. It was a pleasure to have him. What an, just an incredibly nice guy and gifted storyteller. I hope you can have him on again. I'd love to have him back. Hopefully Graham Couch doesn't get in his ear. It's been good to be back. Uh, thank you all to listen, for listening to the Spiro Avenue podcast. Before we go, we wanted to conclude with a Spiro Avenue exclusive song. We pay homage to the very depressing Detroit sports scene. Everyone knows all four teams in this town are terrible. This song is aptly named Shed a Tear for Detroit. I think it captures the misery of this town perfectly. Again, this has been the Spiro Avenue podcast, and this is Shed a Tear for Detroit. <laughs> All sports fans and I are in misery Lions, Tigers, Red Wings and Pistons I'm feeling so low about Detroit teams While Tom Gore sips martinis on a yacht No more call about Thomas or Sanders The club owners line their pockets with gold it used to be all about the good old game Not about just who's bought and who's sold So shed a tear for good old Detroit The battle is not over yet I'll keep listening to Spiro Avenue In the hope that good news is ahead so if Illich embraces our history Puts his profits back into the game I'll shake off the dust from my tiger's cap America Park I'll enter again For the lady who wears giant sunglasses I hope she's watching over her pride Love and time back into her inheritance Instead of wearing sunglasses inside Shed a tear for good old Detroit The battle is not over yet I'll keep listening to Spiro Avenue In the hope that good news is ahead so for now I'll keep drowning my sorrow And wait for a new day to come 